Welcome to another adult Bible study guide exploring the book of Job. Written by Clifford Goldstein. Edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Narrated by Byron Phillips and Lynette Newhart. Exploration 6. The Curse Causeless? Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his Maker? Job chapter 4 and verse 17, New King James Version. In our previous exploration, we emphasized the importance of putting ourselves in the position of Job, at least to whatever degree possible. In one sense, it shouldn't have been that hard, because we've all been there. That is, to some degree, we've all found ourselves immersed in suffering that so often seems to make no sense and certainly doesn't seem fair. While in the rest of the explorations, we should try to keep that perspective. We also need to find the perspective of the other people in the story, the men who come to mourn and grieve with Job. And that shouldn't be so hard either. Haven't you seen the suffering of others? No doubt you have sought to console others in their pain and loss. If so, then you know what it is like to try to find the right words to speak to those whose grief cuts at your own heart as well. In fact, so much of the book of Job is really taken up with the dialogue between Job and these men, as they all try to make sense of what so often seems to make no sense, the endless parade of human suffering and tragedy in a world created by a loving powerful, and caring God. Big questions. Most of the action in the book of Job takes place in the first two chapters. Here the veil between heaven and earth is lifted, and we are given a glimpse into a whole aspect of reality that otherwise would remain hidden. However far our telescopes can peer into the cosmos, they haven't come anywhere near revealing to us what we have been shown in this book written thousands of years ago in a desert that is most likely located in today's Saudi Arabia. Job also shows just how closely connected the supernatural realm, the realm of God and angels, is with the natural world, the earth, and those of us upon it. After the first two chapters, much of Job consists of what is called in the TV business, talking heads, that is, just dialogue. In this case, the talking heads are Job and the men who come to discuss the heavy issues of life, theology, pain, philosophy, faith, life, and death. And why not? Considering all that has happened to Job, it's so easy to be caught up in the mundane things of life, 
the business of just living day by day, and to forget what the big and important questions are. There is nothing like a calamity, either our own or that of others, to shake us out of our spiritual lethargy and get us to start asking the important questions. Let's listen to Psalm 119, verses 65 through 72. What is the psalmist saying? You have dealt well with your servant, O Lord, according to your promise. Teach me good judgment, discernment, and knowledge, for I have believed and trusted and relied on your commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep and honor your word with loving obedience. You are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. The arrogant have forged a lie against me, but I will keep your precepts with all my heart. Their heart is insensitive, like fat. Their minds are dull and brutal. But I delight in your law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. The law from your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. The psalmist was able to see the good that arose from the trials that afflicted him. At times, trials can certainly be blessings in disguise, in that they either lead us back to the Lord or bring us to Him in the first place. Have you heard stories of those whose lives came to a crisis point and only then did the person either come back to God or surrender to Him for the first time? Sometimes trials, however horrific and tragic, can be used for a good that over time one can see. Other times they appear arbitrary and meaningless. How have you been able to look back at former trials and see the good that has come out of them? How do you deal with those trials that brought nothing good? When have the innocent perished? Consider Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. What does it tell you about how Job's friends viewed his situation? Now when Job's three friends heard of all this adversity that had come upon him, each one came from his own place, Eliphaz the Timonite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to sympathize with him and to comfort him. When they looked from a distance and did not recognize him because of his disfigurement, they raised their voices and wept, and each one tore his robe in grief, and they threw dust over their heads toward the sky in sorrow. So they sat down on the ground with Job for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his pain was very great. 
Having heard about what happened to Job, these men made an appointment. Job chapter 2 and verse 11, the New King James Version. That is, they planned to come together and see their friend. The verses convey the idea that they were stunned at what they saw, and they began the process of mourning with him. According to the text, they sat silently, never saying a word. After all, what do you say to someone in a position such as Job's? However, once Job first spoke, uttering his complaints, these men had plenty to say. Next, listen to Job chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. What is the gist of Eliphaz's words to Job? Then Eliphaz, the Temanite, answered and said, If we dare to converse with you, will you be impatient or offended? But who can restrain himself from speaking? Behold, you have admonished and instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the one who was stumbling to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. But now adversity comes upon you, and you are impatient and intolerant. It touches you. You are horrified. Is not your fear of God your confidence? And is not the integrity and uprightness of your ways your hope? Remember now, who being innocent, ever perished? Or where and in what circumstances were those upright and in right standing with God destroyed? As I have seen, those who plow wickedness and those who saw trouble and harm harvest it. By the breath of God they perish, and by the blast of his anger they are consumed. The roaring of the lion and the voice of the fierce lion and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cubs of the lioness are scattered. Perhaps a good opening for a book on grief counseling could feature Eliphaz. The opening chapter could have been titled, uh, What Not to Say to a Grieving Soul. Though obviously these men sympathized with Job, that sympathy went only so far. It seems that, for Eliphaz, theological purity was more important than basic consolation. It's hard to imagine someone coming up to a person, going through all that Job was going through, and saying, basically, well, you must have deserved it, because God is just and only the wicked suffer like this. Even if one thought that this was the situation in Job's case, what good did it do to say it to him? Suppose a speeding driver got into a car accident and lost his entire family. Can you imagine someone going up to him right away amid his grief and saying to him right away, God is punishing you for your speeding? The problem with Eliphaz's words isn't just a questionable theology. The bigger issue is his insensitivity to Job and all that he is going through. Think about a time people comforted you amid loss and pain. What did they say? 
How did they say it? What did you learn from that experience that could help you when you are in the position of needing to comfort someone else? his maker. Eliphaz wouldn't exactly win any awards for tact and sympathy with his opening lines. Basically, he was saying that it was easy for Job to be a light and comfort to others when things were going well. But now that evil had befallen him, he's troubled. Yet, shouldn't he be? God is just, and so the evil that comes upon us is deserved. Listen to more of Job chapter 4, verses 12 through 21. What other argument does Eliphaz present to Job? Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received the whisper of it. Amid disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, dread and trembling came upon me, which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair on my skin stood on end. The spirit stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence, and then I heard a voice saying, Can mortal man be just before God, or be more righteous than he? Can a man be pure before his Maker, or... Be more cleansed than he? God puts no trust or confidence, even in his heavenly servants, and he charges his angels with error. How much more will he blame and charge those who dwell in houses, bodies of clay? What foundations are in the dust, who are crushed like a moth? Between morning and evening they are broken in pieces and destroyed, Unobserved and unnoticed, they perish forever. Is not their tent cord drawn up with them so that the tent collapses? Do they not die, and yet without acquiring wisdom? There are many fascinating things one could look at in these verses, including how these men understood the nature and character of the true God even before the rise of the nation of Israel. This whole book shows us that. Indeed, others besides the patriarchs, and then eventually the Israelites, knew something of the Lord. Here, in fact, we see Eliphaz seeking to defend the character of God. What Eliphaz heard in visions of the night was in many ways very sound theology. Consider three other Bible references. Psalm chapter 103 and verse 14, for he knows our mortal frame. He remembers that we are merely dust. Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 7, there is no one who calls on your name, who awakens and causes himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us 
and have handed us over to the consuming and destructive power of our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing. And Romans chapter 3 and verse 19 and 20. Now we know that whatever the law of Moses says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that the excuses of every mouth may be silenced from protesting, and that all the world may be held accountable to God and subject to his judgment. For no person will be justified freed of guilt and declared righteous in his sight by trying to do the works of the law. For through the law we become conscious of sin, and the recognition of sin directs us toward repentance, but provides no remedy for sin. We as humans are clay. We are so temporary, and we can be crushed as easily as a moth. And of course, what man or woman can be more righteous than God? On the other hand, his words were trite and besides the point. The issue with Job wasn't whether Job was better than God. That was not Job's complaint. He mostly talked about just how miserable he was, how much he was suffering, not that he was somehow more righteous than God. Eliphaz, however, seems to have read all this into what Job said. After all, if God is just and evil comes only upon evil, then Job must have done something to deserve what he was going through. Therefore, Job's complaints were unfair. Eager to defend God, Eliphaz starts to lecture Job. Even more than just whatever collective wisdom he believed he had about God, Eliphaz had something else as well, a supernatural revelation of some kind to buttress his position. The only problem, however, is that the position he took misses the point. What can you learn from this account about how, even if you are right on a position, you might not be expressing it in the most helpful and redeeming way? The Foolish Taking Root Now let's listen to Job chapter 5. Call now. Is there anyone who will answer you? And to which of the holy ones' angels will you turn? For anger slays the foolish man, and jealousy kills the simple naive. I have seen the foolish taking root and outwardly prospering, but I cursed his dwelling immediately, for his destruction was certain. His children are far from safety and included in their father's ruin. They are oppressed and crushed in the court of justice in the city's gate, and there is no one to rescue them. The hungry devour his harvest, and take it even when it's grown among the thorns. The trap opens for his wealth. 
For affliction does not come forth from the dust, nor does trouble spring forth from the ground. For man is born for trouble, as naturally as sparks fly upward. As for me, I would seek God and inquire of him, and I would commit my cause to God, who does great and unsearchable things, marvelous things without number. He gives rain upon the earth and sends waters upon the fields, so that he sets on high those who are lowly, and he lifts to safety those who mourn. He frustrates the devices and schemes of the crafty, so that their hands cannot attain success or achieve anything of lasting worth. He catches the so-called wise in their own shrewdness, and the advice of the devious is quickly thwarted. In the daytime they meet in darkness, and at noon they grope as in the night. But God saves the innocent from the sword of the mouth of the devious, and the poor from the hand of the mighty. So the helpless have hope, and injustice shuts its mouth. Behold, how happy and fortunate is the man whom God reproves. So do not despise or reject the discipline of the Almighty, subjecting you to trial and suffering. For he inflicts pain, but he binds up and gives relief. He wounds, but his hands also heal. He will rescue you from six troubles. Even in seven, evil will not touch you. In famine, he will redeem you from death, and in war, from the power of the sword. You will be hidden from the scourge of the tongue, and you will not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You will laugh at violence and famine, and you will not be afraid of the wild beasts of the earth, for you will be in harmony with the stones of the field, and the beasts of the field will be at peace with you. You will know also that your tent is secure and at peace, and you will visit your dwelling and fear no loss nor find anything amiss. You will know also that your descendants will be many, and your offering as the grass of the earth. You will come to your grave in old age, like the stacking of grain on the threshing floor in its season. Behold this, we have investigated it, and it is true. Hear and heed it, and know for yourself, for your own good. In chapter 5, Eliphaz continues with his argument. It's mostly the same as what he said in the chapter 4. Evil happens only to evil people. Imagine how this must have felt to Job, who knew that it couldn't be right and that he didn't deserve his present situation. However, there is a problem here. Not all that Eliphaz is saying is wrong. On the contrary, many of these same thoughts are echoed in other parts of the Bible. How do the following eight texts reflect the sentiments expressed in Job chapter 5? Proverbs chapter 26 and verse 2 Like the sparrow in her wandering, like the swallow in her flying, so the curse without cause 
does not come and alight on the undeserving. Luke chapter 1 and verse 52. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and exalted those who were humble. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness, absurdity, stupidity before God. For it is written in Scripture, He is the one who catches the wise and clever in their craftiness. Psalm chapter 34 and verse 6. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all his troubles. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 5. And you have forgotten the divine word of encouragement, which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not make light of the discipline of the Lord, and do not lose heart and give up when you are corrected by him. Psalm chapter 33 and verse 19. To rescue their lives from death and keep them alive in famine. Hosea chapter 6 and verse 1. Come and let us return in repentance to the Lord. For he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. Now that you've heard the texts, how did they reflect the sentiments expressed in Job chapter 5? Rush to Judgment Much of what Eliphaz said to Job was correct. That is, he made many valid points, points that we found were expressed later in the Bible. And yet, something still was terribly wrong with his response to Job. The problem wasn't so much with what he said. The problem was more the context in which he said it. What he was saying the truths he was speaking just didn't apply to the specific situation. We will discover why in the next exploration. Our world is a complicated place. It's easy to look at a situation and then toss out a few cliches or even a few Bible texts that you think apply. Maybe they do, but often they don't. Consider this statement from Ellen G. White about how we often bring upon ourselves the things that happen to us. No truth does the Bible more clearly teach than that what we do is the result of what we are. To a great degree, the experiences of life are the fruition of our own thoughts and deeds. The book is entitled Education. That quotation is from page 146. This is a profound and important truth, but could you imagine some well-meaning saint going up to someone in a situation like Job's and reading to that person that Ellen G. White statement? In some cases, unfortunately, we can imagine that. How much better would it have been for the well-meaning saint to have followed this counsel instead? Many think that they are representing the justice of God 
while they wholly fail of representing his tenderness and his great love. Often the ones whom they meet with sternness and severity are under the stress of temptation. Satan is wrestling with these souls, and harsh, unsympathetic words discourage them and cause them to fall a prey to the tempter's power. You will find those words in the book entitled The Ministry of Healing on page 163. The author is Ellen G. White. The fact is, as is so often the case, there's much more going on here than Eliphaz and all the others, including Job, knew. So, Eliphaz's rush to judgment, even with all his correct theology, was hardly the right thing to do given the circumstances. Here are three texts to keep in mind when dealing with anyone, especially those whom you believe have sinned. Matthew chapter 7 and verses 1 and 2. Do not judge and criticize and condemn others unfairly with an attitude of self-righteous superiority as though assuming the office of a judge, so that you will not be judged unfairly. For just as you hypocritically judge others when you are sinful and unrepentant, so will you be judged, and in accordance with your standard of measure used to pass out judgment, judgment will be measured to you. Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. Therefore you have no excuse for justification. Every one of you who hypocritically judges and condemns others, for in passing judgment on another person, you condemn yourself. Because you who judge from a position of arrogance or self-righteousness are habitually practicing the very same things which you denounce. And we know that the judgment of God falls justly and in accordance with truth on those who practice such things. But do you think this, O man? When you judge and condemn those who practice such things, and yet do the same yourself, that you will escape God's judgment and elude his verdict? 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 5 So do not go on passing judgment before the appointed time, but wait until the Lord comes, for he will both bring to light the secret things that are hidden in darkness and disclose the motives of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Even if Eliphaz had been right and Job brought this suffering upon himself, his words were imprudent and ill-timed Job stands as a symbol for all humanity, for we all have been caught up in the great controversy, and we all suffer in it, and we all, at some point, need compassion and sympathy, not sermonizing. Sure, there's a time and place for getting lectured, but when a man is sitting on a pile of ashes, his life ruined, his children dead, and his body full of sores? That is not the time.
Let's continue exploring. Here are a few thoughts to ponder. As we have learned, Eliphaz was not without sympathy for Job. It's just that his sympathy took second place to what he saw as his need to defend the character of God. After all, Job was suffering terribly, and God is just. Therefore, Job must have done something to deserve what happened to him. That's what God's justice is all about, Eliphaz concluded. Therefore, Job was wrong in his complaining. Of course, God is just. But that doesn't automatically mean that we will see his justice made manifest in every situation that happens in this fallen world. The fact is, we don't. Justice and judgment will come, but not necessarily now. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 12. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done as written in the books, that is, everything done while on earth. Part of what it means to live by faith is to trust God that the justice so lacking here will one day be revealed and made manifest. What we see with Eliphaz also appears in the attitude of some of the scribes and Pharisees toward Jesus. Matthew 12 reports these men were so caught up in their desire to be faithful and religious that their anger at the Lord's Sabbath healings trumped what should have been their happiness that the sick had been healed and had had their suffering relieved. No matter how specific Christ's words were in the following text, the principle is one that we who love God and who are jealous for Him must always remember. Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23, when Jesus warned them, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done, and not to leave the others undone. Here are a few more thoughts to ponder and questions to consider. How can we know the difference between the time someone needs compassion and sympathy and when a person needs lecturing and maybe even rebuke. Why would it generally be better to err on the side of compassion and sympathy when dealing with those who are suffering, even through their own sins and misdeeds? Suppose you had been a friend of Job's and had gone to see him as he sat on the pile of ashes. What would you have said to him and why? If that had been you in his place, what would you want people to say to you? AmbassadorGroup.org
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.